Let's pray together. Father, we're singing our faith today. You're faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You're sovereign over us. And even what the enemy means for evil, you are working, synergizing all things together for our good. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. As we study your word together today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God is good. All the time. So it's been a great week. Every morning, I had the chance to come around that corner at about 9.45 and see this whole first floor full of children singing at the top of their voices, caught in adoration of God. It's an unforgettable sight. It's as exhilarating as anything we do all year long. The only thing I think that compares to it is Camp Tallowood, which starts, what, on Saturday? And uh, I was just thankful this morning as I prayed and as I prepared. I I was thinking about all of the workers and how exhilarating VBS and Camp Tallowood are and how exhausting uh, they can be. So if you're a little bit tired this morning, that is is to be forgiven. Like the little girl uh, whose pastor asked her, so what are you going to be when you grow up? And she said, tired. I'm going to be tired because that's where all the grown-ups I know are. I was on the bus with Elmo this morning. I hate to call him by name, but I was sitting behind him. True story. And I said, Elmo, what color are my eyes? And he said, Pastor, I've known you for 19 years and I do not know. And I said, could it be that when I, when I pray, I close my eyes and when I preach, you close yours? That might be. That might be the issue with you not knowing the color of my eyes. And I love Elmo and I love his faithful service. Grateful for all of you. I was reading Steve Shogren's story this week about Joe and Jared. Joe, a father, Jared, his son in the backyard barbecuing. And Jared looks at his dad and says, Dad, is there a God? And Joe doesn't know how to answer. He says, Son, I only went to church a couple times when I was growing up. I don't know anything about God. And Jared said, Wait here. And he ran inside and he got a... uh, helium balloon and an index card and a pen and he just wrote a note and it said God if you are real if you are there send some people who know you to us and then he released the balloon in the air and he said God I hope you're watching I hope you're watching so how will the world know that God is real James has an answer for us in the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Faith of our fathers. Let's open God's Word. Let's give God our mind's attention today, all focused on Him. Let's give God our heart's affection as we worship Him. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word? I know He has something to say to us today, and I've been praying all week that we won't miss it. James chapter 2, verse 14. James begins by asking, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. James offers the gospel from a different angle, doesn't he? So early in chapter 1, he, he challenges us when he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, anybody had your faith tested this week? It produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work. Later he will say, every good and perfect gift comes from above, down from the Father of heavenly lights uh, who does not change like shifting shadows. He goes on to say, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He says, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So he's about action. Do what it says. Otherwise, he says, you're like a person who looks at yourself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what you look like. And then at the end of chapter 1, near the end, in verse 27, one of my favorite verses when I was growing up, this is pure religion and undefiled before the Father to um, take care of the widow and the orphan. And to remain unspotted from the world. In chapter 2, he begins by saying, let's say a rich person walks in. Don't treat them better than you would treat a poor person. James cares about the poor. And he won't let us off the hook on this one. So he reminds us that we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're to do to others what we would have them do to us. And that's the context in which he simply asks the question, what good is it if somebody claims to have faith? He doesn't say they have faith, but he says they claim to have faith, but they don't have any deeds. And he concludes, without deeds, there is no such thing as faith. And the example, the prime example, he gives a couple, but the prime example is Abraham who's willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son he loves, Isaac, on the mountain. Remember that in the mountains in, in Genesis chapter 22. They climb Mount Moriah and he's willing to do that. And he says when he did that, he was confirming what we read in Genesis 15.6 where God says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Before he ever had the sign of the covenant, he was obedient to God in faith and God credited it to him as righteousness. Then in chapter 22, 
He proves his faith. See, Paul's not arguing with James, and James is not arguing with Paul. Paul, is Paul in Romans chapter 4, when he talks about Abraham, is simply saying, before you're a Christian, your works are not going to save you. And James is saying, after you're a Christian, the confirmation of your faith will be the uh, validity, the, the validation, the verification by good deeds that you do. And that will demonstrate, he says, your relationship with God. So Abraham was called a friend of God. And why this text on Father's Day? We think a lot about passing the baton of faith to the next generation of believers. We want our kids to love the Lord and to grow up. And we've got this cultural uh, tension to it. At the same time, we want our kids to be our friends. We want our, our kids to like us. But if, if Abraham's story... And James's teaching on faith that works helps us in the area of parenting. It does so in this way. The best thing that we could possibly do for our children is not to be their friends, but to be friends of God in front of them. And the validation and verification of our friendship with God is the transformation of our lives, which is demonstrated by the good things that we do, serving the poor and helping others. So James is not saying you're saved by the good works you're doing, but he says even though good deeds will not procure salvation, good deeds will prove your salvation for everybody to see. And by the way, the world is watching, especially our families are watching. I love what Dag Hammarskjöld said about this uh, director of the UN, the UN Secretary General years ago said the road to holiness necessarily passes through the world of action. This is what James teaches throughout the book. He makes it practical. He's like Dwight L. Moody saying every Bible should, should be uh, covered in shoe leather, like your shoe leather. So your feet show your faith. That's what James taught. So the first thing he shows us in this passage is that, that, that um, pretensive faith or pretending to have faith that is devoid of deeds is dead. So even if we claim to have faith, he doesn't say they have faith. He says if they claim to have faith but there's no deeds, then, then from his point of view, there is no faith there. It's not unlike what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 7, when he says, You'll know a fruit, but you'll know a tree by the fruit that it produces, because good trees don't produce bad fruit, and bad trees don't produce good fruit. If you, like me, spend some time in Hershey Park, you'll notice that the, the muscadine grapes are producing these days, and they're, they're falling on the pavement. I've been picking some of them because I have this notion that I'm going to make grape jelly from the wild grapes. We'll see. I'll let you be the first one to try it. You know, if you cover something in sugar, it doesn't matter how, how sour it is, it'll taste good eventually if you just put enough sugar in it. And it was just interesting to see those because I studied online and there are muscadine grapes but there are other trees that look like they're producing grapes but they're not and that's what Jesus is talking about he says good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit and then he says in Matthew 7 21 not everyone who calls me Lord Lord 
will enter my kingdom. Not, not everyone who says. It's not what you claim. It's not what you say will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is why B. Clayton Bell says we must put our faith into actual action when our faith b- begins to act. Faith in God is not just believing He exists, but it's doing what He says because you believe He will keep His promises. There's no sense in saying to somebody who's hungry or cold, be warm and be fed, and then doing nothing about it. And in Abraham and Rahab, he gives us examples of people who actually put their faith into practice, who actually did something about their faith. I have the most interesting conversations during Vacation Bible School Week because um, teams of kids come through our offices and, and they ask lots of questions about what I do and I talk to them and, and I show them uh, my, my study. I show them my scroll of Deuteronomy that's supposedly 500 years old. It hasn't been carbon dated, but they say it's 500 years old. I guess it is. And then I show them my children's living Bible, which is nowhere near 500 years old, but it's the Bible that I used when I was a child. And so I'm just trying to teach them these things. And I usually ask them if they have any questions. And, and one of them looks around and says, wow, do you live in this place? He's like, no, I don't live in this place. And then one of the classmates said, so why do you need all of this room when there's just one you? I was like, wow, that's a good question. See, you know whose daughter that was? Neither do I, but I mean, I don't know who it was, but they asked these kinds of questions, and here was the best one, so I was talking to them about what I do, and I said, I talk to people about God, which is what I'm doing this morning, and when I pray, I talk to God about people, and they say, why do you do that? And I say, well, because, you know, people come to me because they're sad, or they're sick, or sometimes they need help, and they come to me, and so I pray for them, and one little girl raises her hand, no kidding, and I said, yes, and she said, why don't you just help them? (laughs) I mean, I'm glad you pray for them, well, why don't you just help them? I thought, that's a great question. That's that's the kind of question James would ask, right? I mean, don't just talk about it. Do something about it. Put your faith into practice. Do something about what you say you believe. And faith that is devoid of deeds is dead. He says it several ways there, doesn't he? He says in in verse 4, he says it's useless. uh, Verse 14, it's useless. uh, But as we read it, it won't save you. Uh, He says uh, that this kind of faith, verse 17, uh, he says uh, it's dead. In verse 20, he says it's useless. In verse 26, again, he says it's dead. Eugene Peterson says it's it's a corpse. It's a corpse. Faith without deeds is, is a corpse. And then in verse 17, I love the message translation of this. Eugene Peterson captures this and says, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. So that's it. Now now let me give you the positive side of it. Faith that is demonstrated by deeds comes to life. So here's where he gives us the examples. And it reminds me of Madeline Lee Engel talks about our evangelism and our faith. And Madeline Lee Engel, maybe you read A Wrinkle in Time when you were in the sixth grade. But this is what she said about evangelism. It's not what we tell people unless what we tell is totally consistent with who we are. It's who we are that's going to make the difference. If we don't truly enjoy our faith, nobody's going to catch the fire of enjoyment from us. If our lives are not totally centered in Christ, we will not be Christ-bearers for others, no matter how pious our words are. 
So he gives us a couple examples here. First of all, uh, starting in verse 21, he starts talking about Abraham. And he, he teaches us uh, that Abraham, Father Abraham, was considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. I had to go back and read that this week. You, you take time. This is your homework for the week. Read Genesis chapter 22. It's a, it's a mystifying story, really, isn't it? I mean, Abraham and Sarah wait so long for God to keep His promise, and then God keeps His promise. You can imagine how they loved that boy. You know, our kids come to us as, as howling bundles of joy. And we get to love them, and we, we protect them, don't we? Because we don't want them to dash their feet against a stone. I remember when our kids were learning to walk, and I would just hand them my index finger, and they would grip with a grip that would not slip. And then I would just walk beside them as they were learning to walk. Unforgettable memories. And how in the world is Abraham going to give up this son? Take your son. Take your only son. The son whom you love, Isaac. The Hebrew rabbis of ancient years said it was more like a dialogue. And God said, take your son. And, and Abraham said, I have two. And he said, well, the, the son, uh, the son your only son, but I have two, the son whom you love, but I have two that I love, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac, he says, the one whose name means laughter, the one who has brought laughter to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, and God says, I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there, and it really is a story of faith, because as Abraham is walking away with Isaac from the servants and leaving them at the bottom of the mountain, he says, we will go and worship and we will come back. So it, it, apparently, if Abraham believes that he's, his son is going to lose his life, he also believes, as we sang this morning, I believe in the resurrection, that God could bring his son back to life. God gave him that son, and so he trusts God with that son. And maybe that's the only way we can ever entrust our kids to God is to know that God first entrusted them to us. And we love our children, and we want to protect them. I was reading Nicholas Volterstorff's little book, Lament for a Son, this week. It is raw. It is so real with pain because Volterstorff had five kids. He lost one of them in a climbing accident in Austria. He got a phone call in the middle of the night and they said, your, your son is dead. And, and Nicholas Volterstorff had to go and claim his son. He said, to this day, when people say to him, how many children do you have? He said, I don't know. Do I say four? Do I say five? Do I explain what has happened? It's just this, this raw outpouring of his pain. And surely, surely, this is what Abraham is feeling when Isaac says, so we got wood, Dad, and you got the knife, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham in faith says, the Lord will provide. And they discover that day the Lord provided a ram, a fortuitous ram. At least it was fortuitous for Isaac. Maybe it was unfortunate for the ram. I'm not sure. But it was fortuitous because in the moment when Abraham is about to obey, here's the thing about faith. Faith is not belief without evidence. Faith is obedience in spite of the consequences. This is Abraham. Abraham willing to obey. This is, this is Rahab in the last couple verses there when she turns even against her own people because her greater allegiance is to the God of another nation who turns out to be the Lord of all the earth. And in, in faith and obedience, in spite of the consequences, she trusts that her life will be preserved. And she becomes a heroine in the life 
of Israel because she saves the lives of God's people. And we see this amazing, amazing kind of faith and we stand in awe of one who is that trusting and that obedient to God. And we want to have that kind of faith as well. A faith that will not falter. A faith that leads to obedience. And we know the rest of the story of faith. God's good faith with us is that that many years later in that same mountain range which became the city of Jerusalem, we believe Moriah became Jerusalem. The Lord will provide Jehovah, Jireh, Jireh, Jerusalem. Some have made that that etymological connection. We're not sure, but it sounds the same. that, That the Lord is the one who provides. And ever after that, he says, the people of Israel would say, on the mountain it will be provided. God will provide for His servants. So how did God provide? How did God protect well he also lost a son in the mountains because his son walked up a hill that was shaped like a skull carrying the crossbeam of a cross and when he got to the top of that mountain there was no ram he was the perfect spotless lamb of god willingly giving up his life for us showing us the faith the trust the obedience which teaches us about the kind of salvation we have received and the good news in this story is that ultimately jesus who died on that hill came back to life on the third day to show that our God knows His way out of the grave. That life ultimately triumphs over death. Death be not proud, though men have named thee mighty and dreadful, John Donne said. For thou art not so, and the ones thou thinkst thou dost overthrow die not poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall die. And I thought of this when we received word this week that little Ronia, whom we love, the little girl that God sent us straight from Toronto, and she went straight into our hearts, and she was treated for cancer here, and she and her family have gone back to Toronto, and we received grave news this week that that she is very close to death unless God intervenes. Friday morning, I was coming in trying to make my way up the stairs, and I was caught by one of our members who said, I need you to come to the treasures today. She told me about William, little William who Casey got to hold for a week last year. Little William who has leukodystrophy. Both parents physicians. They've done everything they can for him medically. Unless God intervenes, he will not survive. And I thought, how God, how? How can we ever give up our children? How can we ever, Lord, we have no easy answer. There there is mystery in this life, but if we know anything, we know that our God is the God who makes life triumph over death ultimately. And we hold on to that. And maybe that's why I was wondering why you so willingly give your time to love these children, to love our students so well. This is why, because... Because you know what God has done for you. We're not procuring salvation by serving the Lord. But the Lord has been so good to us that we don't want to grieve Him. And we want to do something to say thank you to God for giving us life and giving it to us abundantly. And this is what we have found in Jesus Christ. And this is, by the way, all we have to offer to our city. And it turns out it is exactly what the people in our city need most. 
couple days after little Jared released the balloon into the air in Cincinnati, Ohio, he, uh, he and his dad go on a Saturday morning and they see a sign, free car wash, and they pull in. And it's Steve Shogren's church. Steve Shogren who wrote, wrote A Conspiracy of Kindness. And uh, they're washing cars for free. And, and Joe rolls down his window and says, how much does it cost? He said, well, it's free. We're just trying to show you the love of God in practical ways. They also go to laundromats and they put quarters in the machines and pour detergent in and say, you want hot or warm or cold uh, water? What kind do you want? They just serve practically. And so Joe said to him, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, or uh, uh, Steve said to Joe, it doesn't cost anything. We'll just wash your car for free because we want to show you the love of God. And Jared's eyes light up and he says, are you people Christians? And the pastor, Steve, said, yeah, we're Christians. He said, are you the kind of Christians who believe in God? And Steve said, yeah, we're the kind of Christians who believe in God. Can I just ask you this morning, what kind of Christians are we? Are we the kind of Christians who believe in God? The answer to that question will more likely be shown in what we do than in what we say. So John Wesley, who uh, preached over 4,500 sermons after he became a Christian, he was a preacher before he became a Christian. And after he became a Christian, he he preached over 4,500 sermons and sometimes three times a day he would preach. And he said, do all the good you can. By all the means you can in all the places you can for all the people you can as long as ever you can be a friend of God who lives by faith because the world is looking for friends of God for people who believe in God and show it by what they do be a friend of God and the thing about friends of God is that they tend to be friends of others and it turns out That the people who come to Tallowood are not trying to figure out whether or not we're friendly. They're actually looking for friends. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be friends of You who have given Your very life for us. Greater love has no one than this, that He lays down His life for His friends. So Lord, help us, I pray, to show ourselves as friends who lay down our agendas and our prejudices and our self-righteousness for the sake of you who laid down your life for us. And Lord, if there's something you want us to hear today in this word, please don't let us miss it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.